That Triathlon Show 259. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview coach Sebastian Zeller. Sebastian is uh, a coach with uh, proathletes.de. He has a strong background in sports science, doing his PhD with uh, the University of uh, Cologne. And uh, in this interview, we will cover a number of key topics related to endurance training, uh, discuss Sebastian's coaching approach and methodology. But uh, before we get into all of that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They make electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat. So if you're somebody that loses a lot of sodium in your sweat, then you can get a strong concentrated supplement. And if you lose less, then you can match uh, that uh, lesser loss of sodium uh, adequately with the right concentrated uh, supplement. You can take a free online sweat test to get a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and use the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15 to get 15% off your order. And remember that sodium is a key component that you need to replace, especially in longer races and training days and especially in hotter climates when you'll be sweating a lot. Big thanks also to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And they are used by some of the best athletes in the world, including athletes like Lucy Charles, Barclay, Flora Duffy, Mari Mola, Javier Gomez, and many, many others. But their products are also incredible for the slightly slower athletes, and myself included, uh, who just want a performance boost at whatever ability level you are at at the moment. So, for example, the Roka wetsuits. Uh, I think it's very, very likely that if you get into a Roka wetsuit, you will uh, find a few seconds per 100 meter immediately for your open water swimming. So check them out and get 20% off your order with the, the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Sebastian Seller. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Sebastian. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks for the introduction, Michael. Uh, it's great. So uh, we should thank uh, Don Lodang, actually, who, who was the one who, who recommended you as a guest. So uh, so thanks thanks goes to him. Uh, but yeah. uh, let's start by you introducing yourself. So who, who are you and uh, what, what do you do, so to say? Yeah, my name is Sebastian Zeller. I'm 35 years old. I'm a sports scientist from Germany, Cologne. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a coach since a couple of years now. So we started uh, 10 years ago, our firm Pro Athletes, where we test and coach um, um, athletes, so age group athletes and professional athletes. And uh, so um, parallel to that, I worked um, 10 years at the German Sports University as a yeah, university coach, um, not coach, um, teacher, if you, if you want. And uh, yeah, so also in sports physiology, uh, training science at Triathlon. And I finished my PhD in 2017. And in the last two years, I also worked for the Luxembourgish uh, Olympic um, Committee 
but now I'm just a coach and uh, I could try to concentrate on that. All right. And, and where in Germany are you located? And uh, another follow-up, which university did you, uh, did you work for and do your research for? Yeah, I, I'm from Cologne, which is like in the Middle West, <laughs> if you want, there in Germany. And uh, we have here in Cologne the German Sports University, which is the, I think, the only sports, although it's, it's a pure sports university in Europe, I think. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it was a pure sports university. I, I thought that it was probably Cologne that you're from because, yeah, no, it's yeah. very well known for all the great uh, great sports uh, research done, done there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just to confirm, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's really great. So let's dive into coaching a little bit. Can you give an overview of your general coaching philosophy? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so first of all, uh, as a sports scientist, I don't like the term philosophy, not that much, to be honest. Uh, I see it more like a training concept or an approach. So I think, um, or I like the um, athlete-centered approach the most. Um, so in the end, it's all about the athletes and he or she decides what to do in the end. So I think the athlete is responsible uh, is responsible for yeah what for the final result, um, and they have to react and decide in in racing. So they should learn it um, from the get go. So also in in training, but of of course it's uh, it's coach driven, and I think the the coach is driven by by passion. And I think nowadays it's it's also important to have a strong sports science background to give some yeah some real advice and uh, I sometimes i think uh, a coach nowadays is not just a coach uh, it's also or he or she is also more like a sports science consultant sometimes so if a new device or something new is coming up um, you should know the basics uh, about that and um, how you can apply that maybe to to the training and um, then around that team of the athlete and coach i think there's a team of experts um, so this is how we work in our firm so we have experts in aerodynamics nutrition uh, physiotherapists and so on it's like a little olympics training center if you want and um, but this um, group or team of experts is around the team of the athlete and coach and I think it's really important that um, every, everybody um, has the respect for this situation and uh, that the coach is always contacted first. So it's not just uh, or not like the bike fitter asks the athlete, okay, I think you're, you need a new saddle or so. I think it's, it's really important that the first contact is always the coach because uh, you can imagine if you plan as a coach uh, a big training block on the bike or so it, it's it's quite hard to do that uh, if the athlete has for example a new saddle and then you uh, wonder yourself uh, why the athlete is uh, injured <laughs> after a couple of weeks or so so i think um, that is really important and in terms of yeah maybe a general philosophy it's do the simple things right so it's not about always like the last one or two percent or so or like the one or two degrees of the extensions of your aero bars um it's mainly uh doing 99 percent of your work right 
and uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And therefore, I try to really coach or educate the athletes I, I coach that they understand why and uh, which training stimulus or workout works the best for them at which maybe not but uh, as you can imagine in, in times of um, yeah, social media and uh, a lot of influence of that it, it's sometimes really hard because um, maybe an athlete sees okay Lionel Sanders did this and that workout <laughs> and then uh, he or she wants to do that uh, maybe with little lower numbers but uh, wants to do the workout you have sometimes the discussions um why this works or it doesn't work or i don't know and um so i think this is yeah quite difficult sometimes but um so i try to really educate them that they don't ask uh, those questions so that they understand it from the first place okay um maybe that's not right for me and um in the end uh, last thing about my my general philosophy is like um the progress first uh, focus on the progress. Don't focus on your on on other athletes. And uh, ego is last. I think this is also from the coach. So it's not about the coach or the athlete. It's it's a team. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good summary. I really like that. And a couple of follow up questions. When you mentioned that, mentioned that especially nowadays coaches need to to have a background that allows them to basically filter things for the athlete so an athlete comes with a question about a new uh, piece of equipment or device or a new training method or whatever it is the coach mm -hmm. needs to be able to, to answer can you give some examples what are some common things whether it's training methodologies or devices or equipment that in the last few years athletes have been asking you about and uh, just just give an idea there and then maybe just your high level summary of what you've told them about those things yeah of course i mean um yeah in, in triathlon um power meters were i mean the 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 numbers were increasing very well i think <laughs> and um and very fast but also i had uh, from the from the from the get-go i had the feeling that um not every power meter measured the right way <laughs> so what we do is when the um, athletes come to our place uh, and we test them we also try to uh, validate um, their power meter, um, which is for me the most important thing. If you have a power meter, um, that it's also reliable. Uh, so of course, on the one thing, it should be valid, but on the on the other hand, which is maybe more important, it should be reliable. That you measure over time the same <laughs> values uh, at the same way. Um, and we had a lot of discussions about that, um, especially with the whole um, pedal systems. So you have your power meter and the pedals. Um, there are some companies that you can buy them. And um, another thing right now I really focus on is HRV. Uh, I was never a big fan of it, to be honest, because, um, I mean, I, I just try to use uh, new things that uh, the athletes can use on a daily bit, um, basis and use them, them really easy. And I thought, okay, measure heart rate, resting heart rate, or um, HRV in the morning is just um, some additional work. And sometimes, as you know, and maybe for example, in a tri uh, triathlon training camp, you're so tired 
you don't want to do that stuff or you f you forget it and um, then it doesn't work over time so but nowadays with the new devices like i don't know the the whoop um, device or the the aura ring um, you can have them every time at your at your finger or your your arm um, it's really easy um, to measure those things and then it really helps um, i think or i can help the, the coach um, to to have a certain yeah a certain uh, values to compare over time how, how do you use which value are you looking at are you always looking at kind of a specific recording like a minute of hrv and resting heart rate immediately after waking up or are you just if you can describe a bit more with what the recording looks like there yeah i think um i, I use now the the whoop um, device with a lot of athletes and i think the whoop de um, device measured is uh, in the morning um but it's um automatically so you don't have to do it over one minute or 30 seconds and with your fingers on or your heart rate uh, belt uh wearing your heart ba rate belt <laughs> it's just um yeah um on the get-go so it's it's really normal and then it's it's um, the device measures it and you have it on your app and i can see it then on training peaks so um it's really easy i think Mm, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So not not too complicated, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and with the power meters, uh, you don't have to shame any brands. But if you have some <laughs> brands that that you have found that okay, these are really valid and reliable, uh, can yeah. you name a couple of uh, of good examples? Yeah. To be honest, uh, my father studied today together with uh, Uli Schoberer, who is uh, the founder of the SRM uh, brand. Um, I think you know it. It's, it's yep, uh, yep. yeah, it's it's the most uh, yeah, it's it's was the first one, and I have it for myself, so I've, I'm a big fan of it. And um, um, yeah, for me, they are right now still the most valid and reliable systems out there. But I think there are a couple of others that they are um, in the range of the SAM. But um, yeah, for me, it's the original one, and it, from I mean. The brand itself, it's it's really nice because um, I like it because it's really if you have a problem, they can really help you uh, because they understand their um, device very well, and I think this is sometimes more important than to have like a, a new system with fancy new numbers. Uh, I mean, in the end, you want to measure power, and then yeah, this really works, and uh, yeah, I I would prefer that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next topic I want to go into is around what sort of testing you're using in your coaching practice. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, as I said, for me, um, to have reliable data is really important. So we are still testing most of the times in the lab. And there we doing a combination of three tests. So we have a classic um, step test, um, which was, I think, uh, evaluated in 2002 by Achten und Jolkendrup. This is the Fat Max test. Um, and then we have like a RAM test to measure VO2 max. And then we have a lacta lactate minimum test. So after the RAM test, um, you measure where you can really absorb or use lactate and when you can't do it anymore and you build up lactate. So um, it's it's a three-part test 
where we measure lactate. Um, we have, of course, biometric data for uh, um, uh, fat and carbohydrate combustion. Um, as I said, we do like uh, the power meter uh, validity, validity tests, <laughs> um, the rate of perceived exertion, which is for me still one of the most important values out there and <laughs> the most easiest to to, uh, to measure. And of course, economy, which is uh, really, really important in running. Uh, and we do them or that kind of test every eight to 12 weeks. It depends. Sometimes we do it like six to eight weeks, but normally with the age group athletes, we do it like every eight to 12 weeks. Uh, and then we try to reset the aim for the training. Because for me, it's not just about training zones or so. Uh, for me, it's more like to have um, a goal for the next training intervention, I call it. So coming from a sports science uh, background, of course, for me, it's everything is like an intervention. <laughs> and um, then you have maybe the idea, okay, uh, this and that training works for you. And we will test that over the next eight to 12 weeks. And then we will have a, t a test again and uh, we see if it worked out or not. And of course, also uh, before a main competition, a uh, really important Ironman, for example, uh, we do like pacing tests and then we have longer steps uh, and smaller de um, increases in power over time. Uh, and then we try really try to look into uh, the carbohydrate combustion to give some really good um, nutrition and pacing uh, advices for the uh, for the athletes to the athletes. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, that's that's really good. Um, can you describe a bit more which of these things that you, that you assess that might normally be things that then inform the next intervention? So, for example, when so you measure things like VO two max yeah. and uh, the lactate minimum and fat max and lactate thresholds, I assume. Uh, what are the ones that you, for most age groupers, seem to be the ones that that you have to focus on a lot yeah. in in training? Yeah, I mean, um, it depends a little bit on the, on the timing, uh, which training period you are right now. But for me, still, uh, despite all the discu discussion about it, uh, VO two max is the most important value in endurance sports, and. Um, yeah, this is mainly what we focus on, uh, especially now, um, starting from the off season. <laughs> uh, we try to build up that. So we try to build up the, the engine, if you want. And uh, then, of course, over time, especially um, for Ironman athletes, uh, we focus on the uh, fat max because uh, there's a strong correlation between fat max. So the power where you have your highest uh, fat oxidation rate um, and also the maximum fat ox oxidation rate, uh, because this then um, influences your carbohydrate combustion. And um, yeah, and the lactate minimum is for us. It's um, to validate our uh, simulated uh, FTP, if you want. So with the combination of the VO2 max and the fat max. Uh, we can have then um, a really good um, indication of your FTP. And with the lactate minimum test, uh, we can then uh, validate it. Uh, so this is so we try to control ourselves during the test.
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, when it comes to developing VO2 max, uh, what's uh, what's the strategy there in training? Does it uh, include a lot of intervals, or are you more focused on just generally having a, a reasonable training volume and uh, and maybe some more sub maximal work? How how do you do that? Yeah, uh, I think uh, in general, um, it's getting more and more popular that it's not just about volume. It's uh, also um, the training intensity distribution. So there are coming more and more uh, studies uh, out that uh, really show if two groups, for example, train the same volume, um, they have uh, but different they they train different training intensity distributions so like more hit or more lit or other so high intensity training or low intensity training or more medium intensity training uh, this influences really um the yeah the increase or decrease also uh, of your vo2 max and um but what we are looking at is really um what is the point or what is for example the power number where the athlete reaches um, his or her um, 90% of uh, VO2 max because um, it's it's quite, yeah, you, you see it in, in the scientific literature that uh, you have to reach uh, 90% of your VO2 max to have a real, um, yeah, progress in your VO2 max over time. So time over 90% of your VO2 max is really crucial and but you have to know it where where is it <laughs> and uh, this is what we aim for uh, in our um, testing and um, but th this is really individual so you have some athletes um, which are maybe not so yeah economically uh, perfect and they have like they reached the 90 percent really really fast um maybe 102 or 103% of their FTP. And then you have other athletes uh, which are well-trained. They reach it like, yeah, 105 to 110 or even um, over that. So we really try to individualize um, that so that we have a uh, really individual approach to, um, yeah, let's call it hit training then. All right. Uh, that, that makes me wonder, do you think there is a correlation between that being less economical and hitting 90% of your 2 max really quickly and having a heart rate that uh, rises very easily. So, you know, there are some athletes that as soon as they put on their shoes, they are at 150 <laughs> beats per minute and, and you can have them run at what you think is their tempo pace and they're at 180 beats per minute, even if their maximum heart rate might be less than 200. Uh, so basically their heart rate always seems to be relatively speaking higher than for some other athletes mm -hmm. that, that can easily run at 120 beats per minute at their normal endurance pace and, and have to work really, really hard to get up to 100 uh, to, to even to get to one to 90% of their own individual mm -hmm. maximum heart rate. So do you think there is a correlation there? Can, can you use heart rate as a proxy for this? Um, yeah, not really, to be honest. <laughs> I thought that um, a couple of months ago that we can have it easily with the heart rate and we can fix it with that also in training. But um, I'm, I'm not, I'm, to be really honest with you, I'm not sure about that. Um, it's more like um, it seems to correlate with the, um, with the VO2max itself. So if you have a real high VO2max, um, it's not that easy to reach 90% of it. So if you have uh, athletes, which I coach, 
for example, who have um, an AV2 Max over 80, uh, really solid over 80, they really have to hit high, high uh, numbers, um, which you can sometimes not achieve with longer intervals. So if you have like more like the classical five times five minutes, um, they destroy their muscles. Let's put it that way. It's not really scientifically now, but uh, they really hurt themselves, but they don't reach 90% because um, it's uh, limited then by the, by, the, by the muscle cells or by the mu muscles itself. And um, they don't reach uh, the 90%. But then with like intermittent exercises, like the famous uh, Norwegian 30, 15 seconds intervals, uh, they, they reach the high power numbers and then they reach uh, 90%. But it's really, really individual. And I don't have, a, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't have um, the specific rule uh, and, uh, which you can follow. All right, no, no problem. That's, uh, that's a good answer. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask about is uh, how important do you consider lactate to be? Like when, of course, you use it in the test, but yeah. it, it does that then figure into how you plan the training as well? Yeah. Um, so lactate is for me still the most reliable value out there. Uh, I mean, it's it's um, you can measure it since a couple of years now, and it, it's really easy to measure. Um, you have your stationary systems or your handhelds, um, and if you calibrate them, it's it's really it's really a good value that you can measure. Um, I use it in training uh, more uh, also. So um, we know, so for example, your uh, fat max, so the lactate concentration to your fat max um, is uh, in the mean, it's between 1.1 and 1.3 millimol per liter. <laughs> and uh, so we have like a couple of hundred um, um, data points uh, or data sets of athletes. And this is the mean of it. Maybe there are some um, yeah, higher or lower numbers, but this is the mean. So if I want to have an athlete uh, train at the fat max intensity, um, I can easily control that. Uh, and on the other hand, of course, we um, modulate the VLA max, so the anaerobic capacity. And um, we, over time in the season, we try to really focus on that. So you know that when an Ironman athlete uh, needs a, a lower VLA max, and and we found out in, in the lab test, okay, his or her VLA max is still 0 0.5, 0 0.6, which is, yeah, it, it's quite high, but it's not uncommon if you train a lot of uh, high intensity um, efforts. Uh, so we try then to to lower this VL, uh, this uh, VLA max over time uh, before an important Ironman, for example. Yeah. All right, uh, great. And uh, one, one follow-up on that, on the fat max, mm -hmm. the, how much does it vary as a percentage of VO2 max? Do you have that data as well in your data set? Um, <laughs> I can take a look. <laughs> but it, of course, it it's really depends on the VLA max. And um, But I think it was... Um, let me see. I just opened the Excel sheet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's... Um, for us, it was um, so. It's uh, to to be to, to take, make it easier for the people out there. It was like sixty eight percent of the FTP. 
68% yeah, in, in power, in power, in power, power. In power. Oh, okay. it's really important. It's not in a uh, millimol per minute, so it's, it's in power. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. But I think uh, if you... And do you see a big variation there from athlete to athlete that for some it's 55 and for some it's yeah, of course. Uh, 80? Yeah. yeah, of course. But it's uh, this is really interesting. So if you see the from, from Allen and Cotton, um, the, the training zones, so it's it's basically um, the, in the in the middle of the endurance, the famous zone two endurance zone, which is 56 to 75% of FTP, FTP I guess. And uh, so it's just in the middle of that. But of course, if you test it uh, really individual in the lab, you have more specific numbers than just uh, yeah twenty percent uh, range. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, slightly surprised by how low the lactate values are at FatMax for for you. That's uh, that, so that was really interesting to hear, and it makes me think uh, even more than than before that uh, that a lot of athletes probably are just never training at, at an intensity where, they, where they're actually developing that they're always slightly yeah. glycolytic <laughs> and that would be a problem yeah that it's uh this is i think one of the of the, the big 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 mistakes out there uh, always training too hard uh when it should be easy but uh, it's really interesting if you uh, i think uh Zyler, um, um published it in 2010 if you see the norwegian uh training zones i think there is it's training zone one it's up to 1.5 millimol per liter lactate and i think this is the highest more or less the highest number of uh, of, of, of fat max and i think it's not a yeah <laughs> it's not a luck that they found out that this is uh the highest value for the zone one training so i think this yeah. is one thing the norwegian olympic committee or the athletes and coaches are doing uh, yeah really really right over a couple of years now uh, when it's easy it's really easy and uh, one millimeter per liter i i know it's really easy but it's it's fine um, it, it but works. is that is that is that in in the three zone model or is that in the the Norwegian five zone model because they they five zone has come, sorry five, yeah, zone. five zone five zone okay yeah. yeah because I think that the two the, the second <laughs> zone is up to two or two point two two point five two point five yeah well, which which is quite quite interesting because that that means that the high end of zone two is is actually a fairly high intensity especially for for well trained well-trained mm-hmm. athletes so it's not mm-hmm. just uh, just going yeah. out for a coffee right but no no <laughs> I, have, I, I have interviewed uh Adil Tveit and the coach of the Norwegian uh, triathlon national team uh, a couple of times on the podcast and I know that uh when he has his athletes go out for for a, a long ride or an endurance workout he basically wants it to be at at most 1.2 millimoles I think he generally mm-hmm. like one or even or even slightly below one is is where where they are, but yeah, one point two yeah. is kind of the maximum that that they they train at for those endurance workouts. Yeah, yeah, a big fan of them and uh, also um, of him. So um, I follow everything that they publish, and uh, but I, I think they they have a strong um, scientific support and uh, they know what they do. So um, this is, I think, mainly the reason why they're so successful over the past years. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more question about testing. Uh, for people that may have more difficulties accessing uh, the mm-hmm. kind of lab tests that you're doing, uh, what field tests do you think might be effective and, and especially like how should people think about using field tests and, and still being able to train reasonably effectively based on field tests if they can't go and do a lab test? Yeah, I think um, it mainly depends on what are your yeah, opportunities, uh, what devices do you have, of course. But I mean, if you think you have a stopwatch, a power meter, and maybe yeah, a GPS watch or so, um, you have everything you need, I, I think. Maybe a heart rate monitor as well, of course. Um, but um, yeah, you can do like time trials. It, it's still, I think it's still a good thing to to do a 20 minutes uh, a 20 minute test um there's no it, it's not a mistake let's let's put it that way i think uh, because if you increase over 20 minutes you will yeah you you are better it's just more power over 20 minutes and it uh, you're more your endurance work over the last weeks uh, worked out in the end uh, it's easy like that but of course it, it's also so if you want to measure ftp but it's also you can measure your power numbers over three to four five minutes also because uh, if you increase that number, you can sure you can be really or quite sure that your view to max is higher than the last time, um, and uh, yeah I think that it's you can do the same in running you can do a five minute test a twenty minute test if you want or a ten k race for a test. And, um, but I think the most important thing is still, um, the, the most important test is on a daily basis in training. So you, you have to be really honest with yourself. Like I said before, is it really easy what you're doing? So is your training zone really zone one? So really lactate one? You can't measure it maybe, but if it, it feels easy, it's the right way. But I think this is the, yeah, the, the, the best way to test, but it's also the most, uh, or it's, it's the hardest thing to test because you have to be really honest with you and there is no ego allowed in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the other thing uh, that I have here on our lists of topics is, uh, this is something that, that I think that you might have some, uh, some information about with, especially with your strong sports science background. Do you think there's a difference in uh, the, do you think about uh, the athlete's composition of uh, slow twitch versus fast twitch mm-hmm. dominance in terms of their muscle fiber types and so on, or just generally like this is a diesel engine or this is a turbo speed athlete and, and how, if you do it, do you use that information in training? Yeah, I think um, to find out which, um, yeah, um, muscle fibers you have predominantly, um, it, the VLMX can really help you because um, if your anaerobic capacity is yeah is higher, um, you mainly have or you you would have been or you would have more um, yeah type two fibers which are more glycolytic uh, than your type one fibers, and you have to really work on that. I think. On the other hand, if you have a low uh, VLMX, uh, you, you can say, okay, maybe I have less uh, type two fibers, and um, this really depend um, then defines the next training um, block. Because I think um, imagine if you have an Ironman in twelve weeks and your anaerobic capacity 
is still high. So you, your type two uh, muscle fibers are not working that oxidative as you want. Um, you can increase, or you, yeah, you can increase the oxidative, oxidative capacity of the type uh, two fibers, and you can do it with a lot of torque work. Um, at and this is the main thing I use medium intensity training for, um, with or in medium intensity with a lot of torque. Uh, so your strength endurance work on the bike, for example, your 50 RPM work for a longer time. So maybe three times 20 minutes. You can also do it on your uh, turbo trainer or your smart trainer, uh, or Altus, uh, up, uh, Altus Swift if you want. And, um, so you should really work on that then. On the other hand, um, if you start now, uh, you're after your off season and, um, your VLA max is really low. So your um, anaerobic capacity is really low. So you can then say, okay, maybe your type two fibers, um, uh, or yeah, uh, the part of your type two fibers is not that high. Um, you should aim for more like weight training to increase your VLMX, to increase the number of your type two fibers then. Because, uh, other hand, on the other hand, you will not, um, have enough trigger to um yeah really increase your vo to max over time or over the next 12 to 20 weeks um because um the type 2 fibers they produce a lot a lot of uh pyruvate um over the glycolysis and this is a, a great great trigger uh for your mitochondria uh, which you need for a high vo to max because uh, so if you don't have a high vlmx it's really tough to uh, increase your VO2 max over the next 12 weeks. So this is how we use it in training. Um, and uh, But uh, again, it depends um, on the period, uh, on, the, on the training period. Yeah, that, that's a really, really interesting uh, aspect with, uh, with increasing the VLA max to give you more uh, a higher ceiling to improve your VO2 max. Yeah. Another thing that I remember, I think, reading in uh, Science of Winning by Jan Olbrich yeah. uh, is uh, I think he mentions there that uh, if you have a low VLA max, then your risk of overtraining is higher because you're basically you, you end up getting closer to capacity on the on the aerobic yeah. side uh, quite quite often in training even if you're just working at say ftp you're you're still yeah. quite close to your aerobic maximum and basically overloading the system more than than if you have a, an anaerobic reserve to to use so so yeah that might be another thing to consider for at periodizing increasing vla max rather than decreasing it yeah, and and uh, of course to to set then the training zones right. So maybe this is also an influence for the to for reaching ninety percent of your VO two max. So if you have a high uh, percentage uh, of your FTP in comparison to your VO two max, you will of course reach your ninety uh, percent um, faster, and uh, but then you burn out faster um, if you. Uh, slightly over FTP, so it, you should really then um, set your training zones right. And uh, but on the other hand, I think um, athletes with a low uh, anaerobic capacity, uh, which are trained well, so where the training zones are set well, uh, they can handle a lot of training stress. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of low intensity training as well. I found out over time. 
Yeah, yeah, I uh, totally agree. Uh, I can't remember who I talked with, with this uh, about this with recently, but but yeah, it's it's something that that, that seems to be uh, reasonably established. And uh, and yeah, we haven't talked about you don't need to go and get a biopsy or anything, but no, you no. can you can figure it out with <laughs> with sort of a short short power test and uh, and kind of know already as even just thinking about your childhood if you were a like yeah. really good sprinter that, that yeah. can tell you something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, um, you will. Yes, it's uh, that's the, the the thing I, I wanted to tell uh, before with the testing. I mean, you can think about yourself, of course, and um, if if you win every sprint in your training group, um, <laughs> I think you, you you know what you are, <laughs> and you know what you have to train. You don't have to train then sprints, so you should do a lot of talk work to to tire your type two muscle fibers, and then to get more endurance. And to, uh, to get more endurance uh, for your maybe Ironman uh, the next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now, now I actually remember where, where I heard this. This was uh, on a podcast interview with uh, Greg Bennett's podcast, Be With Champion, with mm. Be With Champions, with uh, the coach of Richard Murray, uh, Louis, uh, I can't remember his last name, a Dutch coach. Yeah, uh, also I know. used to work with Visma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so apparently Richard Murray is a very anaerobically strong athlete that's sort of his background and, and he recently during the lockdown he did a 5k in 13 40 yeah. something i think and a, a, a 3k in 8 30 or 40 again some super fast times and they hadn't done a single oh, seven, seven seven right so seven yes yes it must be yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah sure of course and uh Yes, a high sevens, of course. Yeah. And they hadn't done a single speed work uh, session yeah. uh, leading up to any of those. They had the, the fastest he had run in training was 320 per kilometer, which is far yeah. from from even the 5K pace. Yeah. We're very far from it. But yeah, he just smashed them because what he needed to train yeah. wasn't his, his anaerobic system at all, but just, just oh. working on his aerobic system. And, and he mentions running doing a lot of five minutes per kilometer running and that's basically yeah. enough for him to stimulate that uh, the aerobic side of his system which is what he really needs to train to to run those amazing speeds yeah of course of course and i mean uh looking at to to i um, i had a so in the past uh when i, I trained myself a lot uh, i had a lot of friends uh in running and uh, when they traveled to kenya back then which was 10 years ago a big big thing because they were the only ones, <laughs> I think. Uh, and I, they told me uh, when they came back, uh, you know, you, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram, so I couldn't see uh, what they were doing. So they had to tell me afterwards. And I was, ah, what did you train? And what was this and that? And the, they were really surprised because yeah, they were running so slow. The long runs were so, so slow, slower than we do. Um, but, uh, then they were really, yeah, frustrated because the, the, I think the, the cook or the chef of the hotel was faster than, than him, um, or than them, um, because they did the run together over a 10 K and everybody was faster than them, but, uh, we're training slower. So we try to apply that, uh, to our training then. Uh, uh, I mean, of course, a couple of months later, we forgot that and we're running fast again, but I think, yeah. Uh, this is what the the real good athletes do: train train low when it should uh, low uh, should be low or slow, and um, yeah, it's it's mainly aerobic then. It's 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 so easy. Yeah, yeah. So so it sounds like uh, you you are a big fan of polarized training. Is is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I, I tried to always to, to focus on the yeah on the individual um and uh, i mean sometimes uh, the polarized um concept really works uh, fine for the athlete but on the other hand sometimes you, it, it again it depends on the um yeah utilization of the vo2 max so if you reach uh, it really fast in 90% you don't need that high intensity work a lot um it will destroy the, yourself then uh, more faster and um yeah so i really try to individual individualize it and um yeah focus on that and uh, therefore we we use the test other on the other hand i, I or uh, on the other side i then could just use the polarized training for everyone uh, but it doesn't work for everyone yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah. and and what about if you have somebody where you you are working on lowering vla max and as you mentioned you might have workouts like uh high torque work for yeah. extended intervals then i guess the distribution might look a bit different because you might be doing quite a lot of that sort of moderate work uh or or how so how i guess the question is how much moderate work uh, are you comfortable doing with with athletes in a period where that is the focus yeah percentage wise or yeah in, in however you want to describe it it can be a percentage quantitative yeah. answer or it can be more of a qualitative description yeah i mean we then so, so i always try to to focus on on a certain uh, goal of training or in training so if you want to yeah lower than the VLMX I try to incorporate 3 to 4 sessions a week um where we really focus on that so mainly it's I don't know five in the end it's it's five max 8% of the time on the training time in the week it's not that much i mean in the end you have maybe one hour of this and that and or maybe it's more like like 10 but it's it's not more than 10% um and i really try to incorporate that but in three to four sessions and maybe s three on the bike and one on the run and um yeah so doing a lot of torque work and on, on on the run we try to then uh do some uphill running um maybe on the treadmill because we don't have like 10k uh climbs here in cologne um and also some progressive runs um and so on and of course um the carbohydrate um combustion is really uh important in that so we try to do that uh, to, to combine that with a low carb um strategy yeah so so only 10 percent total roughly at at most uh so so when you say there one hour is that one hour yeah. spread out over the the entire week so of, of all the sessions in that moderate intensity realm yeah, so, so so one session is maybe three times twenty minutes, but you of course you have to think about that the the heart rate is not immediately at the right zone. So if okay. you analyze it in a sorry, yeah, sorry for that. So in terms maybe, of heart rate, in heart rate, ten percent. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. In power, okay. it would be more, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always a big, uh, yeah, difference in that. That's fine. yeah, 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 and and then there's even the just the session goal approach, as they call it. Of course, just, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so th th this is where a lot of the confusion comes from that there are so yeah. many different nuances to uh, to how things are measured and, and so yeah. on. Um, all right, uh, th th but that's great. What about as somebody with a strong sports science background? Which areas of coaching and or training? do you think can have have a lot of evidence behind it where you can be really quite 
uh, quite evidence-based and scientific? And which areas do you think are more uh, open for using the art of coaching? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because a lot of coaches uh, or in general, if you talk to coaches, um, there's a lot of talk about periodization, for example. But for me, uh, when I look at lit at the literature or at the yeah at the scientific literature for example uh, papers and stuff, um, there's not a lot of evidence about that. It's quite funny uh, because um, yeah there there's some work, but um, there's a lot of more work um, in high intensity training, for example, or um, I don't know in HRE nowadays. There's a lot of work, but um, yeah. So it's it's funny for me that in periodization there should be a lot of more work, but there there isn't and there is no real evidence about that. Um, I mean the Norwegian guys, um, especially Ben Ronestad, they did a lot of um, stuff now uh, um, about block training, which is really interesting. I follow that a lot, um, but um, yeah. So I think in the future it would be really really interesting. To have more evidence in, in terms of periodization, yeah. Mm. And what, what are your thoughts around block periodization? If you want to expand upon that a bit, yeah, it's. Um, I think it, it's really um, interesting because so it's it's yeah it's it, mainly you have to, um, to 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 yeah to realize that there's a, for me there's a difference uh, between block periodization and block training. Block periodization is more like the concept of uh, Ishurin, I think. And block training is more like the Norwegian um, approach. So in block training, you have like really focused um, yeah, training content like, okay, you focus on VO2 max, uh, or you can have this in a certain discipline. So you have like a big bike block, for example. Um, and I follow that a lot because I think it's, it's uh, easier for the body to, to adapt to one thing, ten, then to 10 things. <laughs> and of course, it's always combined with low intensity training because you need a lot of volume uh, in endurance sports. But uh, yeah, uh, and especially in age group training, I sometimes incorporate this this uh, block training from Ronestad with uh, five, I think, five high intensity sessions per week uh, when the athlete has enough time to rest. But uh, then he or she has three weeks of more or less uh, rest or just low intensity training with one hit session. And this works really, really fine for most of the age group athletes uh, we coach because it's, it's really yeah, time efficient. Um, so we have one week, about eight to 10 um, hours of, of training in the week, um, which you can combine quite well with work and family. And you can concentrate on that week. Maybe you can then have more sleep, eat better, and you can concentrate for one week. That's easy, but you can't concentrate maybe for three or four weeks, but you don't have to because the next three weeks are much easier. So um, I think that this concept is quite good, especially for age group athletes. Uh, in professional athletes, um, I tried it, but it didn't work out that, uh, that good, I think, because... Um, uh, the total volume is more important for, for professional athletes um, than the five high-intensity sessions uh, in one week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. And yeah. so when you, just in general, uh, do you also like to, in each discipline, in the swim, bike and run, you work on the 
you always have the, the low intensity training there, but then if you're working on high intensity, you have high intensity in all three disciplines. So as you say, like you have one specific thing that you're working on, even if it's in the different disciplines. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I always try to, to combine running and cycling, of course. And, uh, if the athlete is capable of doing real high intensity training and swimming, so with a good technique over time, not tiring too much, um, then I'd also do it in, in, in swimming. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tree swimming is a bit different with the, the yeah. mechanical aspects there. Yeah. It, it's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, all right. Um, one thing again, going back to the moderate intensities discussion that, mm-hmm. that we had there uh, in relation to VLA Max. So as you mentioned, there is a lot of research on high intensity interval training, but uh, from what I've seen, there's really not that much on training at moderate intensities. So, uh, so, so what do you think about that? Why do you think that is? And, uh, and, and how, and do you think it has any other use case other than, as you already mentioned, with the, the torque work for yeah. lowering VLA max? Can you talk a little bit more about that? So, so medium intensity training, just to, to be sure, it's, 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 yeah, a little bit lower or at FTP, I think. Your, um, yeah, 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 okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, then of course, let's 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 yeah. say, let's say Corgan training zones, let's let's call it from 80% <laughs> to 100% of FTP, yeah. So it's it's a tempo to stressful, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, um, this is uh, for me, I use it in in uh, yeah, in the last four to six weeks, let's yeah, mainly maybe in some athletes, I need a little bit, uh, need a little bit more longer but mainly in four to six weeks. So it's really race specific uh, for, of course, Olympic distance and 70.3 distance. And um, therefore I use it when we do like uh, time trial trainings. So I think um, you can, of course, have sessions where you have your high intensity, your low intensity uh, training, but it's a different uh, ball game sometimes to, to do in 30 to 60 minute effort uh in, in in sweet spot or in zone three uh in your time trial position um and it's also a good training for the mental aspect i think um so you have to really concentrate for a longer period of time and uh, also you can have then cadence tests so where is your best cadence where you're more economically um or which cadence is too high which cadence is too low um, you can compare it then or control it with lactate measurement as well. And, um, yeah, I think therefore medium intensity work is, 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 can be important. Uh, and you should do it before a main competition. Um, you shouldn't do it too much, I think, uh, before, uh, an Ironman because, uh, it's not that much race specific. Um, yeah, there you should more yeah. aim on fat max and longer intervals or like longer time trials uh, for, I mean, two or three or maybe four hours. I, I don't know. Yeah, you have to test that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, another question then. What do you think are the most important things to track for you as a coach? What, what are things like training volume, intensity, HRV? You mentioned all, some of these already, but yeah, what, what are the main things that you... <clears throat> track with your athletes yeah as i said so for of course volume first <laughs> but um together with uh, the training intensity distribution i think this is like i said really really important uh, and i try to control that 
and I try to evaluate it that over time and over years now. Uh, and there's um, uh, a quite recent uh, recent um, study out there um, which analyzed the training of Martin Foucault, for example. Uh, I think he was one of the most uh, successful biathletes um, in the last decade. Um, and, and the most the most successful French Olympian of all time. I, I actually uh, okay. just <laughs> I, I just interviewed Grégoire Millet, who uh, uh, co-wrote ah, that paper yesterday. <laughs> ah, okay. Then uh, we shouldn't talk about that too much. But uh, I found it quite interesting that um, when they change, or when I don't know the coach or the athlete or whoever uh, changed the train intensity distribution to more medium intensity training. Um, his results got worse and his shooting performance, etc. Um, and I think therefore, and there are a lot of other studies out there right now, uh, which uh, analyze that. Um, so volume in training intensity distribution for me is really crucial. Um, and, um, I focus on that mainly. And then, um, of course, both in combination with the test results. So, how can we influence the volume and the training intensity distribution and how is the um, yeah com in comparison to the test results which is really important for me so uh, how is the vo2 max developing um uh, depending on how much volume we did did we do too much then maybe the vo2 max didn't increase so of course for any athlete um over a period of time there is um um, a certain of amount of volume necessary, but there's also too much. And, um, I try to then, um, yeah, fix this both numbers. <laughs> and on a daily basis, uh, I use more and more HRV, as I said. And, um, in the end, uh, <laughs> it's maybe not so much scientific work, but, um, I try to communicate more and more with the athletes. So over, um, yeah over telephone or FaceTime or whatever. So to get the overall feeling and um, from them and to, to have a, uh, a fast feedback, not just a comment in training peaks. Um, yeah. That is more yeah. like the easier toys. I, I, I call them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's all great. With, with Azure V, is that something <laughs> that you track and then it, you analyze and see how it changes based on <clears throat> things like volume and intensity or, or do you actually advise your athletes that on days where it's really low maybe change their training do you take action on it is it hrv guided or is is it just analyze and then maybe before planning the yeah. next block you take that into account so now i'm more like in the stage to analyze it to learn from that but i think uh, in a couple of months when i have more experience with that I will switch to the next stage um, where we can exactly do what you just said, that the athletes can then decide what to do uh, in, of course, communication with me. <laughs> and um, yeah, but first of all, I have to learn more uh, on an individual base because um, now I see that uh, each um, athlete um, reacts um, yeah, differently. Uh, also, not just from yeah power numbers, but also in HRV. And um, I also try to track sleep and so on. So this is why I use those um, gadgets, I call them, um, and um, to have, yeah, not just HRV, so also sleep and um, energy combustion, 
uh, over the whole day, not just in in the training and stuff. So to to get the picture, to get the whole picture, yeah. Do you get the energy com combustion data from from the Whoop, or where yeah. does that come from? Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. So and, and and it's really I was wondering because I tested it myself for two uh, yeah two and a half months now, and um, it is really really accurate. Uh, so I also uh, compared it to to the power number so the the, the power combustion or the, the energy combustion over the power meter and also uh, with the heart rate um, with the heart rate belt with my garmin and it was really really accurate so um, i'm not sponsored by that <laughs> it does, uh, but it worked out for me and uh, for the athletes i coach yeah yeah great yeah uh Then you have done some projects with the, the Boda Hansgrohe cycling team about ketones and carbohydrate consumption. So perhaps you can talk a little bit more about, about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I can't get too much uh, into details, but I think, um, it, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I can send something. Um, so, um, the first project we did is, um, about carbohydrate combustion. And uh, I think, One thing is what we talked about is like mm, doing the low intensity training, right? And the understanding of that when you're doing low intensity training, for example, your body doesn't just use fat. It, uh, it needs carbo carbs to burn fat. And, um, then and uh, the Bora team, they try to educate, um, their athletes and, but they, they needed a tool for that. And then they asked me, okay, can you, can you work on with us and can you give us, uh, yeah, a calculation? So then when, so what they got is when the, um, when the athlete comes back home and uploads his uh, power file, um, there is now there is, um, yeah, a number of grams of carbohydrates they burned in training. So I don't know, they, they did a ride for three hours and they come back and then they use, I don't know, 176 uh, grams of carbohydrates when they did a, a low, um, low intensity ride. So they know, okay, I, um, I had like a gel and a bar on the bike, but um, yeah, I need some carbs um, again. And then they have like the comparison, what they need and what they all already um, eat, what I have eaten. And um, yeah, this is the first project. And, and I think what is yeah. what is what is the uh, sort of the general guidelines for then replacing <laughs> replenishing the carbohydrate stores? Is that something that they try to do over the first, let's say, four hours or so? Or I don't like, know. Yeah. This is what okay. they do. I'm, I'm not into that. Because I just uh, had to develop the formula. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's really so. It was more. I think it was was more like. Um, a tool for education that the riders understand. Okay. Um, I did a four hours easy ride, but I have to eat carbs because yeah. I weren't carbs. And on the other hand, it's not just, or it's not like I did a really hard ride and now I can eat what I want. This, this was the other mistake. Uh, and maybe you know that as well, or um, listeners of the podcast, if you, if you do a really hard ride with a lot of high intensity training, you come back home and you think, I can eat two pizzas, no problem, and uh, 500 grams of pasta after that, um, and an ice cream or whatever. Uh, it's not like that. You burn a lot of carbs, of course, but you it's, it's, it's a big amount, but it's not uh, endless, you know? And uh, so, yeah, 
um, it's it, it's really they try to educate the the riders what to eat and to get a better feeling for that. I think yeah. this was the the main thing of that. Yeah, and uh, the ketones uh, was really interesting also for me because I, I never did that before. So what we did is like a, a, a mini study <laughs> with uh, four subjects, and um, so we tried to evaluate um, if uh, if or how uh, ketones influence uh, power, um, yeah, in a in a performance test or like we did like um, we had like one hour with intervals, and after that you had to do a, a time trial. It was a. It was nice to be honest. Uh, it was a really hard test, and uh, yeah, we tested that, and uh, the, the results were really, really interesting. And to be honest, there, yeah, we had like a big discussion after that because um, the results of other studies we found uh, before that they were the other way around. Let's call it that way. And uh, so this whole ketone thing is it's quite complicated, and um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's <laughs> I don't and I don't I don't know what to say, uh, but it's um, you should really I think there there's a lot of evidence or a lot of work missing uh, before we use that or we before we should use that yeah. So, so can you can you tell whether you found a, a positive or neutral or negative effect on, on ketones? Uh, in our study, it was negative. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, but really impressive negative. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But, uh, but on the other hand, it, it's it depends on what you do. So imagine you have, for example, uh, Milano Sanremo, which is the longest race in the calendar, I think. So 300k right, and maybe you can spare some carbs when you eat um, ketones. So maybe if you could do low intensity uh, in doing low intensity right or um, effort. So in the beginning of such a uh, long race, in in the beginning it's it's more low intensity, and then you stop it, and then you just have your normal nutrition a lot of carbs and, and drinks and maybe you have then more carbs than those who didn't take uh, the ketones maybe this is the main thing about that but i'm not sure about that so we have to test that but this is okay. no, now our hypothesis yeah yeah uh, so we're starting to come to the, towards the end of the interview and uh, i just want to ask do you have if you have Three tips that you could, your top tips for the listeners of the podcast about anything related to endurance training. What would what would that be? Yeah, um, so learn and get the basics right. I think it's really, really important. Uh, have a concept which you adapt from time to time with new stuff um, as a coach for, um, mostly because this is also, or that can also be a motivation for your athletes. If you bring new stuff into into the process, and um, yeah, which I think is really really important, uh, stay humble. It's just sport, so don't stress yourself too much. Right, great, and uh, follow up on the first one. So, uh, so that was get the basics right. Uh, what what do you consider are the basics? 
Okay, the basics is consistency. Uh, have a certain volume with the right training intensity distribution. Um, yeah, don't um, have too much extremes in it. <laughs> don't try to win the race in the in the first week of training. So don't burn your matches too early. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And uh, this question isn't on our list, but uh, I want to ask you as well. What are some things that you are currently so you mentioned a few already, like HRV, for example, but some things that you are learning about and are fascinated by currently and uh, starting to yeah, consider maybe maybe really important things that, that you started to use or want to maybe start using and trying out in, in the last little while. Yeah, um, we did some stuff with timber regulation in the past, and uh, I want to get back to that uh, soon. Um, for the next uh, Hawaii preparation. <laughs> so heat adaptation is one thing uh, I try to focus on, on for the next year. So I have all, always one big project for the next year. And this is, um, yeah, this is for the next year, uh, the big one. And uh, to be really honest, um, every time I, I lose myself in, in, in things like ketones and I don't know, HRV, uh, I have to remind myself for my first or uh, for my uh, for my uh, for my tip. Uh, yeah, do the basics right and concentrate on the basics back. So um, yeah, I have to remind myself also. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. All right, so let's move into the rapid fire questions, mm -hmm. and uh, these are one sentence or less. And the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Yeah, you already named it. It's the science of winning from Jan Olbrecht. Uh, I had the pleasure to meet him, and I was overwhelmed uh, by his personality. So read that book. Yeah, he's also a past guest on the podcast, so uh, listeners yeah. can go and have a listen to that. What's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Um. Not giving up, and you will find your way. And finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Uh, Dan Lorong, which is a, who is a very honorable man and a great human being, also I think. Perfect. And uh, finally, tell listeners where they can find out more about you, find your coaching business and testing services, and and so on, and social media as well. Yeah, you find uh, myself on, on Training Peaks. Just um, search there for Sebastian Zeller, and there you find all the information, our homepage, and also on Instagram, Life of Zap. <laughs> all right, great. I'll link to, to those in the, in the show notes, yeah. so it will be easy to find. Uh, thank you so much, Sebastian. It's been uh, great to talk to you. I think we could just chat on about different topics related to endurance sports for, for hours and hours, but this has been a great a great teaser with a, with a few uh, really cool topics that, that we've discussed. So, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I think so too. And, uh, yeah, I really uh, like talk, our talk and uh, see you next time. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I really enjoyed the chat with Sebastian and it gave me one more reason to learn German because uh, knowing that he's part of the Triathlon Crew Cologne uh, YouTube channel and the podcast that they produce, uh, that would give me plenty of reason to to listen to that if I could only learn the language. So maybe that's a project for, for next year to work on that. 
Anyway, you can find links in the episode show notes and the description to Sebastian's personal Instagram and to his company website and Instagram as well, proathletes.de, as well as the Triathlon Crew Cologne YouTube channel and podcast, which is called uh, Triathlon Gelabe. We, I also have some interviews to related episodes that we, with guests that we mentioned, like Jan Olbrecht, uh, Dan Lorang, and so on, in the episode description and the show notes. So go and check them out. They are all of them very good episodes. So, so that's a good list of you. If you're a newer listener, especially and haven't checked out the, uh, the history of the podcast, those are some really great ones to, to listen to. On Thursday, we have another Q and A episode coming out and then Next Monday, I interview Marco Pinotti, who is the head of performance at the CCC uh, cycling team, world tour team. And he's also a six-time Italian national champion himself in the time trial discipline. That was his specialty as a cyclist. And that is the topic of the interview, how to become a better time trialist. So stay tuned for that. And if you are enjoying the podcast a lot, then it would mean the world to me if you could spend a minute at uh, leaving a rating and writing a review from it on itunes ideally because that's still where most people get their podcasts and that's where you can actually leave ratings and reviews so that's where they tend to have the most impact if you're not an apple user you can always just download itunes for free to your pc and uh, just create an account uh, really quickly and uh, and write the review that way that's the way i do it myself and not for my own podcast but for other podcasts of course uh, finally if you are looking for training plans or coaching services uh, i think that any time of year is a good time to do so but in particular this time of year is great uh, especially for looking for a coach because that gives you a lot of time to work until the next season's races rolls around so go and check out scientifictriathlon.com and uh, the coaching and training plan uh, training plan alternatives that we offer there and let me know if you have any questions you can email me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com finally big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration plan for your next race and get 15 percent off your order with the promo code that triathlon show one five and thank you to roca that you can find on roca.com Check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart. Keep loving craft long.